How do I use different ancient grains in making sourdough bread? How do they behave differently from wheat? How do I freeze and store dough or finished bread? And why do all those loaves on Instagram look like that and mine looks like this? All these questions and many more crop up when we discuss sourdough bread. Sourdough bread is one of the hottest topics when we talk about ancestral foods. Give us this day our daily bread. Give the Romans bread and circuses. I am the bread of life. Turn these stones into bread. Bread is ubiquitous throughout our history and collective human memory. Allison and I both love sourdough bread for its flavor and digestibility and the accessibility of nutrition in the grains once they've been fermented through the sourdough process. Listen to this episode and get all of your questions answered and more. Then also check out Allison's free course, 10 Tips for Creating and Maintaining a Sourdough Starter by going to ancestralkitchen.com slash 10 tips, one zero tips. And Allison will answer even more questions that you didn't know you had. I can't wait to see your finished loaves and enjoy breaking bread with you. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Andrea. Hello, Allison. How are you? I'm good. I'm good today. How are you? Surviving technology. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we're both doing today, it seems, <laughs> battling through technology. Another day marked safe from my computer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So did you have breakfast yet today? What? No. But I did make myself a nice little latte with cream and um, mushrooms and everything like that. So uh, yeah, nah, I'm enjoying that. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. I hope um, that'll keep you going. Yeah, well, until we're cream... done. I think this is going to be a long one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's a lot of cream in this, so I was I was ready. Okay. <laughs> Did you eat lunch That's before good. we hopped on to this long, long? Yeah, um, we're. Um, I'm playing around with oats a lot in the kitchen, as you know, and of I made course. another oat steamed pudding at the weekend, and then mm. left it to. Um, sort of marinate in the fridge after I cooked it and sliced up what was left for lunch today and fried it in lard and then had some leftover vegetables from yesterday in the pan at the same time so lots of lard and the oat steamed pudding had pork and walnuts and Mm. orange zest in it with oats and a bit of stock and it went all crispy fried in the lard and it was absolutely delicious what did you say was corked What's that? What was the thing before oranges that you said? Um, walnuts. No, before that. Pork. Pork. Yeah. Pork. Oh, pork. <laughs> pork. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, getting so every once in a while, you know, that British accent still gets me. 
Uh, um, yeah, not not to throw listeners into a panic, but Allison and I are already talking about the Christmas episodes. So I know. <laughs> so uh, when you said pudding, yeah, I said yum. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no pudding. Before people think of pudding, pudding was was savory. It's just a steamed yeah. thing. So it was steamed yeah. oats with pork and that just kind of edge of orange mm-hmm. and the crunch of nut. It was lovely. Oh my gosh, stop it. I, I told you I did eat breakfast. No, that was my fault. So oh, no, this no. episode, Allison, I'm super excited about this because it's one that you and I have known we needed for a long time. Both of us mm. field a ton of questions on our Instagram accounts about sourdough. And mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know the answer. I have to kick it over to you. Sometimes you don't know the answer. You kick it over to Ellie. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> Between us, we have seen and made probably thousands of loaves and Mm. experienced a lot of different variations in temperatures and times and grains and things. So so we do have some aggregated um, knowledge on sourdough. So it is good to be able to share. And so you and I actually asked people to send in questions and they did. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to answer those questions. If you sent in questions, I think we pretty much got all of them on here. A couple we were able to combine, but I think we got everyone's questions mm. on here. And indeed, this um, episode is also kind of to celebrate, Allison, your free sourdough starter course, which mm-hmm. can you say where that is posted? Where yeah, so I made um, a quick link for people so we okay. could talk about it on the podcast and people would remember it. So you just have to go to my website, which is www.ancestralkitchen.com and then forward slash 1010tips, T-I-P-S, because the course is 10 tips for creating and maintaining a sourdough starter. We will put that URL in the show notes, um, but it's quite easy to remember, just ancestralkitchen.com forward slash 1010tips. So I watched your 10 tips course and Mm. I... I, first of all, I think you could do the, what is it called? The ASMR, you know, people just like talk and you just listen like it's so pleasant to listen to your voice. But (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I've listened to you talk a lot, obviously, but Mm. I was stunned, Allison, Mm. at how much you crammed into each of those tips. I don't think you wasted a single word on them. They're all very brisk and to the point, but you stuffed so much information in each one you can really tell that this is not something you just read about in a book or started doing last year or a year ago or four years ago this is something you've been doing for a long time and studying in depth down to the you know where in the grains different bacteria live and things like that so yeah it's a very i i I don't i don't think anybody would get through that course and not feel ready to start sourdough it was very well done thank so, you good job thank Alice. you I do feel quite strongly about starters because there's a lot of information out there and mm. a lot of it's um, conflicting and confusing and there's no need for it to be like that and so when I came up with the idea I thought I could just do 10 tips and mm-hmm. I could sort of try and distill all the things I've learned about mm-hmm. starters and not make it complicated, try to make it as simple as possible. So I'm really glad right. that you picked up on that because that's what I was trying to achieve. You did. And I think 
every once in a while, we talked about this with bone broth. There are things that people almost relish in making it seem complicated, but mm. um, you showed us all how integral it is can be in your life and how straightforward it is. And I wanted to know that video in the end when you have all that food around you. How long did it take you guys to eat all of that? <laughs> Quite a long time. That video was the hardest one because I have like two breads, a porridge, a pan, yeah. and a cake in front of me just for like two minutes of filming. Yep, yeah. And um, we we had to do that video twice, believe it or not, because Whoa. the sound messed up the first time. No. And we didn't realize until we went to edit it a little while later that the sound had messed up. So. I had it all there and then I had to have it all there again. No. So it just meant that you had to make um, it again? we had to eat all that stuff twice. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and well, some of it went in the freezer. I can think of worse things <laughs> to eat. Indeed. Well, before we jump into the yeah. um, questions that we're going to answer today, mm. we have some new patrons who yeah. are bringing the yeah, podcast to you guys today. So maybe you can um, share about them. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we have three new patrons on board since the last time we talked about patrons. Um, Michelle, who we met at one of our um, live calls at the weekend. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, who is over with me in Europe. And Katie. And we had a, a wonderful kitchen table chat live. Once a month, we get together and um, do it in real time. Mm -hmm. And Anyone who's a patron can come on and talk to us on Zoom. So we get to see each other, chat, see how things are, talk about what's on our minds, ask questions, get them answered, just share and be together. And we had a few patrons on at the weekend and a very lively, long call, which was really, really wonderful. That's one of the, the um, things we really wanted to bring when we thought about mm -hmm. how to shape our community. And so that was really wonderful. If you... Love what you hear and you would like more, you can go to patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast where you'll see all the details of how you can come and join us in our community. Yeah. So thank you. And Those live calls to new were people. one of the first things you and I talked about when we talked about doing this yeah. uh, whole Indeed. podcast endeavor. Yeah. We just said we wanted a way to be able to see people's faces and and we do. And we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was really wonderful. a fun call. Um, and if somebody's a patron, but they're not able to listen either for time zone reasons or mm -hmm. just doesn't fit the schedule, then we post the video and the audio replay in the private mm -hmm. podcast area for patrons. And so you can just listen to the conversation later if you want to. Yeah. And once a month, we have a recorded private podcast as well. So there's there's always lots of content going up there that you can dip into yeah. when you have the time. Yeah. All right, Alison, shall we talk about sourdough okay. starter? Yeah. So Oops, like you said, um, <laughs> we've got lots of questions and we decided to split it into three to sorry, to seven sections because there were lots of different questions. So we've got where we're starting, you know, where to start when you facing sourdough sourdough starters flowers berries and milling the consistency of the final loaf when you're not using standard flowers which a lot of our listeners aren't flavor making in bulk and storing and then other ways to use sourdough 
So right. we're going to kind of navigate through those sections in order. Andrew, do you want to start? I will start with where to start. <laughs> mm. Where to begin with your sourdough, Cody. Oh, Cody. He's a um, lovely, amazing photographer that I met here in Washington as she lives in Florida now. She asked how to basics. I'm starting from the beginning, which is perfect because you don't have any bad info to bring in. <laughs> mm. So, Allison, where did you begin with sourdough? Yeah. Um. I started at the library, which is where I start with a lot of things because I like to just kind of read right. and what? accumulate information. So I just um, borrowed books and books on sourdough. And then there's a forum um, called thefreshloaf.com, which we'll link. And I went in there and there are thousands and thousands of posts on sourdough in there. And I just read lots of posts. Um, I think my advice would be there is a lot to know, so take it slowly. Um, I felt overwhelmed at times when I first started, so I had to kind of stop and start and stop and start. And then what I think, think is really useful is to find one person who you resonate with and follow their advice. Um, because there are lots of people out there saying lots of different things and you can get completely overwhelmed by it. So... You, the first thing you really want to do is create a starter, which you can do um, using my 10 tips course to help you. And there's a link in the show notes to my um, article on how to create a starter and get that starter strong. As you're building up, you can use that Discord to make pancakes. And then I would say try to find a local flower. The more we can support local grain economies, the more um, decentralized and um, happy our local communities will be so once you've found a flower try something simple don't try to do something really complicated at the beginning because you might fail in it and then your confidence will go down so choose something that you like that's simple watch read notice make notes make the bread and and make notes I mean I did that myself um, and each time you'll learn, you can go back and say, why did that happen? Why did this not happen? What can I change for next time? And I think in that process, it's really important to be kind to yourself because it's not an easy thing to just learn overnight. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a skill. It's like riding a bicycle. You know, you've got to try and fail and try and fail and be gentle with yourself as you're going along. We have an episode with Ellie. Um, which is episode 10, which is a really good overview of um, sourdough, particularly with whole grain flours. So that would be a good one to listen to, too, Cody. Absolutely. help, Andrew, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Where did you start? I just started with a book that I liked, mm, and I just made that same recipe for a long time. So yeah, I didn't eat, I don't think Instagram was a thing, so I was safe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoyed just finding variations within that recipe and then slowly inching out trying other flowers within that recipe and um, different sizes of loaves within that same recipe different ways to mm. raise it and I think like you said find one thing and stick to it the simplicity was why I felt fairly successful because yeah if you're every time you're trying a different video, a different flower, a different method, 
every single thing is different, then you are not sure what to adjust or modify if it just keeps coming out like a rock. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's absolute stellar advice. I totally yeah. agree with what you're yeah. saying. And if you can't find local flour right now, don't let that stop you. Just start. And then what you'll yeah. find, just like Joel Salatin says, um, you don't have to begin with a perfect system. You can continuously improve your system. And yeah. you very soon will be able to do that. So I wouldn't let it stop yeah. you if you don't know where to get local flour. But once you begin making the bread, then you can start exploring. Mm. Because there are so many great places and so many great, great grains you can get, um, even that are semi-local. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the next question we have is from one of our patrons, Susan Lydia, and she asks, um, I'm, I think this, I'm going to add some words to make it a question because she, it was a tiny little mm-hmm. question box that she had to cram it in. So what are some amazing benefits, um, even sustainably and physically, for including in homemade sourdough things? So with that one, um, yeah. when I read that, I thought, well, the benefits of sourdough, we have talked about them mm-hmm. a lot on the podcast in the past like episode bread. seven. <laughs> Why we love sourdough is a really um, good episode to go back and listen to because, you know, sourdough has wonderful health benefits. A lot of people say, well, it's not probiotic because it's cooked. But scientists are doing tons of research now on how dead probiotics Mm -hmm. and the kind of metabolites and things that happen when probiotics are um, cooked create more things that are really beneficial to our gut. We do have an episode on postbiotics and paraprobiotics, which um, would help explain that more. And, you know, not only the probiotics, but the digestibility, the... um, the wonderful taste and what sourdough brings to your kitchen when you're making it in your home every day rather than going out and buying a bread in a supermarket, what it connects you to, you know, with your table, with your body, with your um, grains. And it's sustainability, Susan talked about. Um, and that really comes back to if you can find local flour because that could, you could be reviving a grain in your community that, really wasn't there before you know I've, I've read so many stories about reading a book about whales at the moment um, about a grain mill that is just coming back to life using a flower that was traditionally grown in that area and because people are baking with it the water mill's working and that whole sustainability is really working so I feel like those two things the the health and physical benefits and the sustainability benefits of sourdough mm-hmm. are just was it incredible? Was it Michelle that was talking about it on the live? <clears throat> KTC. I don't remember who it was. I think it was Michelle, where she said she was getting something that one of her local farmers was growing as she couldn't remember if it was a cover crop or the, a ground cover between rows. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah. that's one of those opportunities that arises for a farmer only when people are interested in buying local grain because. Yeah, he's probably not growing enough to export, so he's not making big bucks selling it to some chain or something or some big mill. Um, but if he can sell it in bags to his local farmers, then 
they're not just buying grain, but they're actively participating in the health of the soil in their area. And that's, that is a phenomenal thing. That's a wonderful thing. Incredible. Yeah, there is, I mean, crop rotation and diversification of crops Mm -hmm. uh, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so, yeah, it was Michelle. She was talking about buckwheat, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think Um, you're right. I think you're right. And the episode, mm. Why We Love Sourdough, is number seven. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Alison. Okay, we should, we, should, we should move on because um, we've got a lot of questions. <laughs> Let's move on to starters. So the first question is from Deb, who's also a Patreon. I would like to know how to get the best starter. Do you make your own, trade with friends, or purchase? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, I say make one. Because all you need is a jar, some flour and some water, and you right. will learn a ton about how sourdough starters work. Um, and it won't be any better you know, or any worse than getting it from anywhere else. You know, there's no special sourdough starter. A sourdough starter is a sourdough starter um, in my book. Um, like I said, there are instructions on my site. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, but there are other ways, aren't there, Andrea? Um, you had some ideas. I've never bought a sourdough starter, but you know where you can buy them, don't you? Yeah, I think done all of these things that she asked okay (laughs) (laughs) um I've made my own that was how it started I kept that one going for years and I have traded with friends for different varieties if you will and I have purchased so one of the best things you can also do once you get your sourdough started is quickly start sharing it with everybody around you Because one of the things I had done when I lived here in Washington was I was sharing sourdough with everybody, right? You know, you get a starter, you get a starter, you get a starter. And then we moved away. We were gone for, I don't know, six or seven years, came back, and my sourdough starter was just kind of going on cold storage, if you will. I got it out. Um, I didn't restart it well. It molded. I called one of my friends mm-hmm. and she goes, yeah, I still got that sourdough starter you gave me. <laughs> so wow. I went and got a copy of my own sourdough start from somebody. So you can order them from Azure Standard. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And mm-hmm. even if there's not a drop in your area, you can get things shipped you know, through the mail from them. And you just have to pay for shipping. So that's mm-hmm. fine. You can probably find them. I'm I'm sure Cultures for Health carries them too. I yeah. like the one I got from Azure Standard. They have one that is already activated. So it's um, it's not dry. Which yeah, okay. Yeah, so. Mm, okay. Anyways. Lots of options mm-hmm. there. Lots, Lots of, of choices. And I, I agree with you. Too. A starter is a starter and you'll be the one improving the health of it over the long run. Completely. Okay, next question. What flour is best for sourdough starters? Mm. So I've made a ton of starters. I've made starters with white flour. I've made starters with the whole grain flour, with wheat, with rye, with buckwheat, with millet. And I just love whole grain rye. It, it Hands down, it gives me the best starters. It's so full of enzymes. Rye's got more sugar in it than wheat. And mm-hmm. those sugars really give it a kick. And because it's whole grain, you'll get more of the good yeast and bacteria that were on the outside of the grain to get your starter going. Also, rye absorbs water really well, so you can make a stiff starter and then keep it in your fridge for a long time without having to pay attention. But you don't have to use rye. 
Ellie, who is very um, good friend of the podcast and who we talked about several episodes that we did with her already. You can find her on YouTube, um, Ellie's Everyday. She uses wheat for her starter, even though she loves rye, um, and gets on absolutely fine with it. So um, use what you can get, use what you like. And if you're not sure and you can get whole grain rye, then um, use whole grain rye because it's great. <laughs> That's yeah. what I think. And it doesn't have to be the same thing that the, like, you don't have to use a, you can use a rye starter in a wheat. Yep, well, completely. I, I use rye say. starter in my spout loaves. Yeah, you can, no problem You can mix and match. Other than, yeah. if you're trying to keep your loaf gluten-free, that's obviously different. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next question. My starter smells of vinegar really strongly. Can I use it? Mm. Um, that's quite usual. Um, for a starter, it usually means either it needs feeding or it hasn't had enough oxygen or both. So if you've got a starter that smells of vinegar, check it, first of all, for visible mould. It's not necessarily um, a write-off if there is some mould on it. Um, you can retrieve it. If there's no visible mould, just feed it um, and keep it, feed it regularly, keep it going for a few days. If there is some visible mould on, scrape off the visible mould and then take a little bit of it from the bottom and then make a new starter with that and feed it regularly every day for a few days until you notice it coming back up again. Watch how you're covering it. If you cover it too tightly and there's not enough oxygen, it then can start to smell of vinegar. So give it a lid, but don't do it up too tightly um, so there can be a little bit of airflow there. Okay. Um, I'm not going to bake for a month. Another question, what can I do with my starter? So my advice on that would be, Refresh it at a really low hydration. So by low hydration, I mean not as much water. So for example, you could do a ratio of 50% water to 50% flour, the same weight, and then put a bit of starter in it. And then once you've refreshed it and mixed it all in, leave it in the coolest part of your fridge. And then you can just leave it there and it's less likely to ferment quickly because it's low hydration, because water encourages fermentation. Mm -hmm. And if it's in a cool part of your fridge, it'll kind of go to sleep. Um, if you don't want to do that, but you want to carry on feeding your starter and you kind of keep it more active, then just use it during that month for other things, just not bread. Use it for sourdough pancakes. Use it for sourdough porridge. Um, I will put links to all of these things in the show notes because they're all detailed on my website. Um, but you can just carry on using a sourdough starter, not for bread, for a very long time with with. Um, lots of different recipes. I've even got a sourdough discard soup recipe on my site, which is very nice. Um, so yeah, yeah, you can use it in other things. And the reverse okay. is true, mm -hmm. Alison. If you're using your sourdough starter frequently, you know, like I keep mine pretty thin, but we bake yeah. it very often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just using that hydration based on what you know you're going to be doing with your starter, right. using that as a tool. So you're right, yeah. Okay, next question is from Mountain Nomad, who's on Instagram. And she says, I keep my starter at 50 to 60% hydration, so I don't have to feed it as much. That's what we were talking about. But I'm wondering about its rising ability. If I'm only baking once a week, should I feed my starter twice before baking to ensure I get the rise I want? I'm going to jump in on this one, Andrew, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. No, I'm glad. Do it. <laughs> Okay, so um, like I just explained, I do the same with my starter. I keep it at a lower hydration. 
I really think that your sourdough starter shouldn't run your life and it's a great way to make looking after it easy. So I bake once a week. We eat a lot of sourdough um, bread, but I bake in bulk, which we'll talk about later. And I create a leaven, which is just kind of a French word for a new starter, which I do by feeding that starter once. So I will have my starter in the fridge. I will take it out. I will create a new starter with it, leave it on the counter overnight and then use it for bread the next morning. I'm happy with that and I make really nice loaves. I do know that a lot of experts say feed your starter twice before you bake breads with it. Hmm. Um, and I wonder what, what flour this lady's using um, because she says to ensure I get the rise I want. And, you know, if she's baking with an ancient grain or whole grain, the rise will be less than, for instance, a white loaf that you might see on Instagram. Um, so you can experiment, experiment with doing it once, experiment with doing it twice and see if it makes any different and, and look at the other factors that could be affecting the rise of that bread. So are you proofing correctly? Not too little, not too much. Um, to help with rise for um, whole grain, you can up the hydration. You can put moisture in your oven and you can play around with the temperature. So there are a lot of kind of competing factors um, in sourdough, which take time to kind of work through to see how your loaf is working um yeah so yeah i think i think my answer is experiment yeah yeah that's the same that method that peter reinhardt uses which i'll link his book but that's the book that i used when i said i just used the same book for a long time uh, okay he makes a lot yeah i read one of his books from the library okay mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that's where i got thorough. it from originally he gives good explanations good good yeah i remember i remember reading his detail about like the cutting through a grain and what what the different sections were uh, and how that worked uh -huh. mm. okay um chris asked i've got liquid developing on the bottom of the jar of my starter instead of the top so usually when people talk about liquid on their yeah. starter they talk about it, the hooch that's on the top right i've never seen a starter with liquid on the bottom have you andrea oh no and and of course, I want to ask Chris, what, what flour are you using? How long has it been in the fridge? Um, because I use whole grain rye and I have my hydration low, I never really get that water. Um, but, so I would say, look at your starter, stir it, smell it. You can even taste it, just spit it out afterwards. You don't have to eat it and see how it is. Um, refresh it and then see what happens. If the water continues to develop in the starter and you don't like that, um, then change your flour or change your hydration or change your feeding schedule because there's something kind of not right. Um, but really, before you do that, be one of my tips in the course is get to know your starter. And that is what will um, elevate your bread making from the starter point of view, because the more you understand your starter, the more you'll know when it's ready and know when there's something wrong so take a look at that starter and smell it does it smell fermented does it smell fruity does it smell off how does it taste does it taste sour um and then from that decide whether you want to refresh it or change something and start again i know sometimes people you want to enter that starter a name but in reality it would be better to give it like like the name of a universe or a village or something, because this isn't yeah, one yeah. organism. It's like 
bazillions. <laughs> yeah, completely. And getting to know it, as you say, is fun because um, it is alive and it is active and entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, completely. And the, and the more you get to know it and see how it works, the more you can adapt it. You know, you can make it taste more sour or less sour. You can make it um, act in different ways and you can make it go faster if you want it to or slower, you know, but you, you will only know to do that if you're observing it and learning about it all the time. Right. Okay, let's do the next section, which is all about flowers, yeah. berries and milling. Okay. So the first question is from Diana, who is a patron, and she was on our live call. Yeah. And yeah. she asked, Hi, how long do einkorn, spelt, and rye berries last without refrigeration, without turning rancid? Mm. Um, Allison, you told me something mm -hmm. about archaeology that I thought was entertaining. Yeah, yeah just the... I've, I've heard more than once that people have found, archaeologists have found berries, grains, berries at archaeological sites and then taken them back to the lab and sprouted them from like thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. So, yeah, and they can last the, a long time. From the digestive tracts of humans and animals as well in archaeological sites. Yeah. You know, they've taken in undigested ones. They've taken in, yeah, run them. Which... It's should so emphasize for us the importance of sourdough. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> those anti-nutrients will keep the um, for a very long time. They can keep the um, grain from releasing its goodness. So. Hey, you washing the dishes? <laughs> Been there. You've heard Allison and I talk over and over about her love of rye sourdough bread. Well, I might actually call it an obsession. That's neither here nor there. Now you can make Allison's rye sourdough in your own kitchen with her as your teacher. And she's a really good teacher. Rye is economical, it's delicious, and full of nutrients and low in gluten. There's a reason why it has been a darling of bread bakers for centuries. Make it into sourdough as Allison will show you in her course, Rye Sourdough Bread, Mastering the Basics. And you've got an amazing, tasty, and nutritious staple in your kitchen. It's traditional, and it's nutritional. In this course, you'll learn everything there is to know about how she creates and maintains her rye sourdough starter, all about whole grain sourdough rye, including the key differences between baking with rye and wheat, how to make two loaves, an everyday rye sandwich bread, and a delicious Russian-style dark rye loaf, and what to do with your sourdough discard, including video walkthroughs for sourdough pancakes and a tasty, sweet, spiced cake. Head to www.ancestralkitchen.com slash rye. The, the only thing you have to be aware of, Diana, is weevils, mm. which we had a really good conversation with Ellie, which is episode 42, in episode 42, how to get and grind the best flour for bread. And it was so coincidental because just as Ellie was asking and talking about weevils, I had just had weevils in my spelt grains here Ooh. in Italy. <laughs> it was the summer and it was quite humid and we'd taken the grains out and there were these kind of weird little black things in them 
Um, and so we had to throw it all away. So Ellie has got some stellar advice on what to do to um, protect your grains from weevils if you're in kind of the environment that's warm and or humid that right. might encourage those. So go back and check out Ellie's um, episode number 42. Yeah. I also think she talked on there about how it's once you grind them and you release that oil, that's when it begins to go rancid. So yeah. I've right. kept, not really intentionally, but for whatever reason, you know, over various moves, it just kept being put in the bottom of the bucket or whatever. But I've kept some grains for years <laughs> without <laughs> oxygen absorbers or anything. and. Mm -hmm. When we ground them, nobody could tell that there was any mm. age. Yeah. Um, the best grains to use and how to make a loaf with them. Jordan asked that. Jordan has a podcast mm. as well. She's interviewed me on there twice. It's called Fruitful and Fearless. And she was asking about, okay, what grains to use? So um allison as you say the best grain to use is what you like and what you can digest which is yeah. such an allison answer such a good answer <laughs> um jordan's in the heartland of the united states so she can probably okay. find lots of grains in her area um local organic ancient grains and as allison you talked about when you have your starter and you've got your recipe you can just um, you know, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply your loaves and try different yeah. things. What grain book? Did you mean the grain book by Jean Longston when you said the grain book? I can't book? remember. I yeah. don't know. I can't remember either. But um, the yeah, I, I I think you and I tend towards older grains. Um, yeah, modern wheat is challenging for. It's kind of like pasteurized milk in a way it's kind of challenging for most people some people can get away with it some people don't realize it's a problem um mm. we still use it we had to eliminate it for a long time and then it kind of slowly wormed or should i say weaveled its way back in <laughs> <laughs> and so i'll use it up to 50 percent in a loaf but um once it's I think it depends also on kind of how it's been grown because I know that yeah. Ellie uses wheat, but her wheat is biodynamic, grown in the yeah, most beautiful farm that um, she's been to and visited. And it depends on who you are. You know, Rob had a, a very severe wheat intolerance um, when he was younger. Right. And that's part of the reason we don't even touch wheat because he really can't eat it more than a tiny bit now. But he can eat spelt, which is... Not the same, but it's not as far away from wheat as rye is, for example. Right. Um, you know, it still has gluten in it. And so that's why I use spelt, because I love the taste of it and he can digest it. So it's, you yeah. know, it's what you like and what you can digest back to, you know. I'd say when you're switch, if you're wanting to use ancient grains, and this might be part of her question, I want to start using ancient grains, maybe. Mm. Um Kamut is probably the most similar behaving that okay. I've used between rye, spelt, einkorn, emmer, and wheat and kamut. I would say kamut feels the most similar. Um, mm -hmm. 
like with all the ancient grains, the flavor is far superior to wheat. I I don't know why wheat was programmed to be better in everything except flavor. Like I didn't even make the list. Yeah. <laughs> but um Kamut is very tender. Um it is also kind of hard to get sometimes. Yeah. So um the two sources I've found are the food nanny. And mm-hmm. again, hers is always limited supply. You have to get it shipped. Um, I think you can only buy 25 pounds and it's ground. I don't know if she sells the whole berries or not. Um, and that is grown in Montana and mm-hmm. Azure Standard. But theirs has been out of stock for at least six months, maybe longer. Wow. Um, okay. And theirs is also grown in Montana. But for mm-hmm. if you're using einkorn, um, most of the einkorn that I see out there is refined, unless you're grinding it yourself. I buy my einkorn through Young Living, and there's this whole grain einkorn. And so that's what I'm accustomed to, and it does behave differently than refined. Refined yeah. einkorn is more delicate, like refined wheat flour, but it is also, as einkorn is, this is one of the benefits of einkorn, very low in gluten. So you don't tend to get those towering rises like you do with wheat. Yeah. So, yeah. Hope that's helpful, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's very. Um, <clears throat> this next question is for you, Allison. I want mm-hmm. to know, says Adriana, who is one of our patrons, how do Allison and Rob do the hand crank mill? I had one and attempted <laughs> to mill some einkorn just for it to not be the correct texture and made grainy bagels. I said, saving up for a mock mill is definitely <laughs> in my future. <laughs> I love oh, that. Adriana, yeah, I can understand that. Okay, so we have a hand crank grain mill, which costs a lot less than a mock mill, um, but requires a lot more work. And really, at the moment, we use that hand crank grain mill for rye bread, so grinding rye berries, and also for oats, flaking and making. Um, whole oats into various all my different fermentations and things I do with oats and also then for um, cracking grain that we've malted to make um, medieval beer with. The bread that we make with it from the rye berries is very grainy. It's not the same as the bread that we make from the rye flour that I also buy that's been milled in a stone mill locally in Italy Um, and Rob loves it. I mean, he eats more rye bread than me and we do it for him. He loves the flavour. He's like, this flavour is incredible compared to the rye flour, even though the rye flour is nice. Um, but it it is a very delicate loaf. It's a very grainy loaf. So I'm not surprised. We did try um, putting spelt through it once and it was very hard. Spelt is harder than the rye berries we have here. And so it was a lot of work. And it, it even though I didn't put all of it into a loaf, I did like 50%. It was a lot of work for it. So we've kind of stopped doing it with spelt grains. So I would say, really, you've got to have expectations of a rustic, in quotes, loaf, as opposed to um, a fine flour loaf if you're going to use a hand crank grain mill. You can put it through lots of times. I mean, we don't put the rye berries through once. I think Rob puts them through like four times. Um, So you make the setting on the mill 
finer and finer and it gets smaller and smaller. If you just put it through once or twice, you're going to get extremely grainy flour. If you put it through a few times, you can get a chunky flour, um, but it's not going to give you the same as a mock mill or a como or any of those other um, grain, grain grinders or any of the flour that you'll get from a commercial mill. But it's, it's a wonderful thing to do and it makes incredible tasting loaves. Um, and if you haven't done oats in it yet, Adriana, flake your oats in your hand um, mill because you will love them. They're absolutely beautiful. So yeah, it's kind of expectations with a grain mill and you know maybe in the future I'll get a mock mill as well um but they are as Adriana um implies a lot more expensive mm -hmm. to um to get hold of do you sieve the flour and then run the sieve portion through or no we just put it's it in whole okay I can't be doing the sieving <laughs> it's too much work I can't be doing the sieving <laughs> <laughs> you know that one of the things they found with the ancient Egyptians and probably other cultures as well, but I know specifically with the Egyptians, was that the people who were the most likely to have dental caries were the wealthy, mm. because not only did they typically have access to more luxurious things mm. like, mm. Um, you know, more fruit and things, but the oh my gosh, were grinding their wheat as one does, you know, on stone mills. Mm -hmm. And then just using the flour, whereas in the upper classes, it was sieved and refined. Yeah, yeah. Because you had, you know, slaves doing it for you. And the lower classes were basically wearing down their teeth with the fragments of stone that were oh, in the flour. And so yeah, yeah. instead of caries developing, they just kind of kept smoothing off the surfaces of their teeth. <clears throat> they ended up having little but buttons for teeth instead of teeth. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. Where are we? Um, I'm not okay. okay. Down at the bottom. Okay. Um, Diana. Hello, yeah. Diana. She asked, Hello. "Can I use all-purpose flour?" Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, Allison, do you want me to do this one, or you? Yeah. Okay. Can I'll, you? I'll go. So, all-purpose flour is called plain flour in the UK and Australia. Start with that, so everyone who's listening knows what we're talking about. And generally, plain flour is used for baked goods, you know, like patisserie, that kind of thing. It's lower in protein than bread flour, especially in the UK and Australia. It's even lower in protein than the plain flour is, the all-purpose flour is in the States. It's generally 9 to 10% protein, and normal bread flour is 10 to 13% protein. And protein is the thing that develops in order for your bread to have a structure with it. And so because of that, all-purpose flour isn't ideal for breads. It can't develop that gluten network. And also it absorbs water quite poorly. But you can use it in your breads. If you do, don't put as much water in them because it absorbs water poorly. And if you want to give your bread more strength, you can add in vital wheat gluten which will help um i found a guide when i was looking at this online um which gave tips on how to use all-purpose or plain flour in sourdough and we will link that in the show notes so diana go and have a look at that if you want to know what ap flour was when i first started hearing that oh, i was like what is this one mm. so mm. 
Um, that link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Allison, for that. And okay. Mountain Nomad, on that same note, yeah. she said, I, is it, I don't know if Mountain Nomad is a he or a she. Did you say it's a she? It's a she. Okay. I went to see what her name was, and it doesn't say, so I don't know. I'm sorry, Mountain okay. Nomad. I don't know what your name is. Well, I like, I like <laughs> the name Mountain Nomad, though. Yeah, exactly. Oh. We go with that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, most recipes call for all-purpose flour of some sort. How do you convert that if you are grinding your own grains for flour? Mm. That's a good question. I never really thought about that. Do you want me to go with this one then as well? Yeah, because my answer isn't very good. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, like, like we just um, <laughs> like we just talked about, um, all-purpose flour doesn't absorb water, so you have to use less water. Um, with bread flour, you'll need more water. And with home ground, you'll need even more water. So look at how much you're switching out and up the water based on that. Watch and feel the dough as you're mixing it. That's the most, really the most important thing. Then you'll learn for next time what works and what doesn't. Also watch the proof as with freshly ground um, flour, it's probably going to go a lot quicker. And if you're using whole grain in particular, if you're not sieving that freshly ground flour, you don't want to push that proof too far, 50% um, bigger. There's a great video by Ellie, which we will link in the show notes, which is, I think, five tips for baking bread with whole grains. And one of them is really make sure that you're not proofing it so that it's much bigger. You know, for white flour, people say proof till it's double in size. You don't do that with whole grain because you will find it won't rise in the oven then. Mm -hmm. So um, watch your proof as well. The other option is just to find another recipe that uses um, non-all-purpose flour, that uses bread flour, because there are tons of recipes right. out there on the internet. And so rather than converting something, go and find a recipe that is designed for um, strong bread flour or designed for home ground flour, because they're just, a lot of those are so wonderful and you then don't have to do any calculations or changing. And I, I like the right. simple option, so I, I put that yeah. in the end as well. See, that's a good answer, Allison. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> My answer was that mm. I just kind of mix things together until I get combinations that I like. Yeah. Try things over yeah. the period of time, and I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to instructions. <laughs> oh, so um, I think the the book that I had, he tends to use a combination of all-purpose flour and bread flour the Peter okay. Reinhardt book. And then he has a chapter on whole grains and okay. I just gravitated towards that. But then I yeah. would just throw things around in the other recipes and just try things. And it was more of a process of elimination to see what worked and what didn't work. So I don't know that I've ever written down, you know, percentages or anything like that. I mostly just mm. go by feel and that is not very helpful when you're trying to well it is in <clears throat> in terms of really what we all want to to get to is a place where we're baking intuitively where we don't have right. to follow a recipe where we can make our own recipes up right. and where we can do it without having a recipe in front of us sure. and so the way that you do that is by doing what you've talking about you just yeah. you do it until it feels right and then you see what happens and if it isn't quite what you wanted well then you do it again till it feels a bit different to how it felt the first time and then yeah. you see what happens and so I think your answer is valid Definitely. Well, this is where I think Instagram, and I'm using that as a sort of motif, but that can get in our way because we see all these perfect loaves and we don't realize 
typically most amazing bakers that you see um, fed a lot of their bricks to chickens, if you will, because <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because they were experimenting and trying different things. And guess what? It doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Mountain Nomad also asked, can you sprout wheat berries before grinding them into mm. flour to use in sourdough for better digestibility? Mm. This is such a good question. Yeah, i just been sprouting some oats and they're dehydrating upstairs. So, um, yeah, I'm. you can. You can sprout grain. If you want to grind it into flour, you'll have to do what I'm doing, which is dehydrate the grain after it's sprouted before you put it through your grinder. You can also buy sprouted flour. I know that um, Azure, that Andrea's referred to several times, has sprouted flour. But I would say that sprouting does similar things to what sourdough does. It breaks down starches and makes nutrients more available. So the sourdough process won't work as well with previously sprouted grains. Therefore, usually people do a percentage right. of sprouted grain flour. So I would say start small start with like 10% mm -hmm. and experiment, see what difference it makes to your dough, see what difference it makes to your loaf. Um, you can make sprouted bread in and of itself, it's not sourdough, um, like the Ezekiel brand, um, and that has a lovely taste in and of itself, but it's not actually sourdough. So if you wanted to try that, sprout your grains and then making them into a, a sprouted bread, you'll find recipes for that online, that's another option. Um, the other thing, there was one more thing I wanted to say about that, which was the other option you can do is sprout your grains and then leave them whole and put a few of them in your loaf, which is really nice. That sounds nice. Because you get a kind of a pop of the sprouted grain in the crumb of your loaf. So you've got a smooth crumb with kind of speckled with the sprouted berries and it gives it a, a chew, which encourages you to chew, which is always a good thing. And it gives a kind of variety and, and interesting um, texture to your bread. I did find a recipe from Leo at The Perfect Loaf, who is an incredible sourdough um, blogger. And he has a sprouted grain sourdough bread loaf, which I will link in the show notes. So if you want to go and have a look at that, um, Mountain Nomads, you can. And if you are, we're talking ancestral food here. So <clears throat> remember that. Things that are very challenging for you to do probably would have been challenging for them to do back in history also. For instance, there were no mason jars, mesh tops, or dehydrators <laughs> yeah. for a long time. And so that's not to say people weren't sprouting and drying grains. I'm just saying it was, this is where sourdough came into the picture because we needed a practical way to store grains all winter long and then be able to activate them on the spot. And there, <clears throat> there is a method of harvesting grains that is not commonly used anymore, but it was the standard way to harvest grains, which was to create sheaves of wheat and you'd stand them in the field. And then by the time you brought everything inside, basically the wheat had more or less semi-activated but not mm -hmm. not to the point that it was sprouting in the bins and mm. this is still done on some farms i know that young living does this with their einkorn which is partially grown in france and some in the u.s 
but it is also hard to find because you have a higher likelihood of the grain spoiling, um, especially since mm. Young Living and probably other companies that would be interested in this method aren't using preservatives or glyphosate to kind of sterilize and keep their wheat preserved. So <clears throat> it is a higher risk for the farmer. But if you were planning to do small grain crops, then that's certainly something to explore. Okay, thank you. That's nice. This episode of Ancestral Kitchen is brought to you by Home Folk Roots. Home Folk Roots is an online membership community dedicated to living a simple life that is in harmony with the seasons. Members take on gentle challenges complete with ebooks and printables to help them stay focused on home and nature. They connect in a private forum and have the opportunity to participate in old-fashioned mail swaps and letter writing. Once a month, they get together for a live chat. At Home Folk Roots, they grow food, cook from scratch, use herbs for healing, take walks in nature, forage, craft, connect with their local communities and share adventures in a judgment-free zone. They share photos, struggles and successes to celebrate and encourage each other in an authentic, slow life connected to the earth. Join in spring and take 15% off the season's membership. Visit homespunseasonalliving.com forward slash AKP to learn more and join. The link's in the show notes. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next chapter because I'm looking at my timer and we are talking for a long time. We've got a lot still to go. <laughs> I think we can make it. So I, oh, I hope so. Um, consistency of the final loaf when using non-standard flours. We kind of had a lot of questions around this. So the first one was from Melissa who said, I am using 100% spelt. The outside is so crunchy, it's hard to cut if I cook it. But if I bake it less, the inside is still doughy. Mm. Now, I I bake with 100% spelt. That's my kind of mainstay. And the questions I would ask, Melissa, are what, what are you baking in and what temperature are you baking at? Um, you could put it in a tin. If you are putting it in a tin, you could cover it, but only for some of the bake. So, for example, when I'm using a standard loaf tin for my spelt breads, I will put a cover over it, but then I will take that off 15 minutes before the end of the um, bake. So, for a lot of the time, it's covered and the crust doesn't get too hard. You could lower the temperature of your oven and cook it for longer so that inside has more time to, um, to cook. And because you're lowering the temperature, you're less likely to get a, a ridiculously crunchy crust. Um, do also make sure that the bread is fermented right, because if you over or under ferment it, it can lead to, to doughy bits inside. Um, I've got some plenty of 100% whole grain spelt recipes on my site, so go and have a look at them. And um, the other thing that you said, Andrea, which I did not think about, which is a great suggestion, is put a thermometer in the oven because many ovens are um, not accurate. And so it could be that you think you're baking it at some temperature, but you're actually not. <laughs> um, I'll put a link in the show notes to my most used spelt sourdough, the one that I cook every week. Um, and you can see how I cook it there because I use, I've cooked it in lots of different tins. I've cooked it in an Emil Henry ceramic tin, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite mm -hmm. tin. But I've also cooked it freestanding and I've cooked it in standard metal tins. 
Um, and it just to really, you need to play around a bit with the temperature and the tin and the covering and also check your proofing, I would say. Do you want to add anything to that, Andrea? No, I think you covered it. No. Okay, cool. I shall move on then. Bev asked, how do I increase the amount of fresh ground einkorn I use in my sourdough bread? Mm. What would you say to that one, Andrea? I say, hi, Bev. <laughs> I know. Bev. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I, I agree with what you suggested, which is pretty standard, I think, for learning new grains, which is start with 20%, start slow. Mm. And yes, you will probably need to hydrate more. Einkorn is thirsty. and it probably will ferment more quickly. And um, if you're wanting to move to 100% einkorn loaf, which you totally can, do move slowly. If you are going to do the, if you're doing einkorn plus flour, slowly switch your conversions because then you can see as you progress to 100% einkorn that it isn't your starter and it isn't you. It's the fact that einkorn does not rise quite as high as wheat. Mm. Um, and then you can clearly see the difference in the gluten that way. Um, I can still, I still get nice rises out of einkorn, but it doesn't take much working at all because there's not much gluten. You really need minimal yeah. hands-on kneading or work with einkorn. Basically, you just kind of mix it and let it rise. So I think that gives us yeah. some answer for our next question as mm -hmm. well, which is from Izzy, who's a Patreon. And she said, I'm retrying sourdough after a rocky attempt last year. I'm waiting for my bag of einkorn flour to arrive and I will be making the starter this week. So honestly, I don't know what I should be asking, but any and all tips and tricks would be greatly appreciated. Have you worked with einkorn? What are your thoughts on this grain? So Andrea just talked about her kind of um, views on working with einkorn and what you have to watch out for. I've only used einkorn once. Um, and I asked Ellie and she hasn't used icon because it's not grown in Australia. Um, but she did say it was like Emma. So um, like Andrea said, it's probably going to ferment more quickly and it doesn't need much working. What I would say is make sure you've nailed that starter first. If you're just starting with a starter, go and check out my um, course and go and check out my instructions on how to make a starter and make sure that yeah. you have got that strong starter before you start. Otherwise, yeah. it's not worth making a loaf. Um, you could try percentage einkorn, which, you know, Andrea said basically start slowly if you've got access to other flour. Use a tin, which makes it easier at the beginning. Don't try and make a freestanding loaf. And find a recipe online for einkorn. Um, again, Leo at The Perfect Loaf has got one of those. And, yeah, watch your loaf and, and learn from it. Yeah. We've got a lot of questions on einkorn. Mm -hmm. And we've got I'm, another I'm not one. Sure why? But yeah, I I think a lot of people have heard that it's a good grain for you, and so so they're it buying is. it. You know? It was really um, hard to find when we started using it ten years ago. Mm. I mean, the only way we could get it was basically from Italy, which just didn't seem to make much sense. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know how ironic. In Italy, it's really interesting. In Italy, um, Einkorn and Emma and spelt are basically the same thing. They're all farro, F-A-R-R-O. And one of them is farro monococo, that's einkorn. One mm -hmm. of them is farro di coco, which is Emma. And the other one is farro spelter. Um, mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's because they come from the same kind of yeah. gene in the, in the you know, goat grass cross or something in ancient history. Um, but yeah, they're called the same thing. So we've got another question on 
um, Einkorn from Diana and Lauren, who are both patrons. Oh, great. How do I get sourdough whole grain einkorn to beautifully rise? The lift is never great, but it rather takes a hockey puck quality. (laughs) (laughs) Should I rise the bread more slowly over days, not Mm. overnight, or add all-purpose einkorn and another grain? So uh, from my perspective, even though I've not worked with einkorn much, I would just say I can give you some general advice there. Make sure your starter is strong. It needs to be active. Give all your energy as you can to that starter, to to getting it to be strong, because that is the workhorse for your bread. Um, check what's happening when it's fermenting. Is it rising? Remember to to not overproof. Reading the bit in your question about should I rise the bread more slowly or over days, not overnight. And I'm thinking if you're frizing it overnight, that might even be too long, you know, because einkorn is very active, whole grain ferments more quickly. It might well be that you're fermenting it too much and therefore it's going flat in the oven. Only proof until it's 50% bigger, just like it. Go and watch the tips in Ellie's video, which we'll link, and um, she'll talk to you about that more. Use a tin. Um... If it's not working, use more water, which will help, but it will ferment a bit quicker that way, but it might help give you a better rise. Change the starter amount that you're um, using. The other thing that's in Ellie's video is if you've got a flour that is low in gluten, she has this method called the gel method where you use something like chia or linseed to give structure to the dough by the water that it um, imbibes, and that helps give the structure to your dough that the lack of gluten isn't so listen to that bit of her um five tips as well because that might be something you can incorporate and yeah like like andrea said the loaves on instagram are are wheat and white and we have to expect something different with whole grain ancient grain flours that they're not going to to rise but you should be able to get better than a hockey puck for sure Uh, yeah keep going (laughs) and there is a book uh there's a gal she's done workshops that i've taken through young living her name is heidi ellis and she wrote a book called baking and cooking with einkorn i've never had a dud from that book and we should get her on the podcast oh yeah that's a really good idea she's so sweet she she doesn't use any regular sugar she does occasionally use coconut sugar um Mm -hmm. and she uses um, good fats and she uses whole einkorn and I told Allison I've checked out a bunch of different einkorn cookbooks from libraries and in reading mm. them and then in testing the recipes I've realized they all use refined einkorn mm. so basically the equivalent of white flour and I prefer the flavor to me refined einkorn is kind of um, tasteless it's not it's not terrible, but it's more along the lines of wheat where it doesn't have a lot of flavor. So um, you could probably find her book online. I bought it from Young Living. I don't know where else you could find it, but it's Baking and Cooking by Ellis. Maybe we can try and put it in our bookstore. Oh, that's a good um, idea. I'll have a look at that yeah. afterwards. So if we can, we'll put it in the bookstore, which there'll be a link to in the show notes. So yeah. if you are wondering about that, go and check the bookstore first, I think. Okay, perfect. Okay. Um, question from Kelsey who is also has a podcast of her own and is a patron. Um, 
Any alternative to getting a crusty loaf without using a Dutch oven? I have multiple cast iron pans, not sure they'd work mm. without a lid. So a Dutch oven works by trapping steam, which allows a rise at the beginning and then getting a good crust. Cast iron pans work fine for sourdough. Um, you should preheat them in the oven if you're using them. You can add steam to your oven. Um, Andrea, I know you do that quite regularly. Do you want to explain mm -hmm. how you steam your oven without using that Dutch oven? Yeah. So just um, when you turn on your oven to heat it, then put a pan in the bottom, not a glass pan, <laughs> put a pan in the bottom, a Dutch oven, or not a Dutch oven. Oh my goodness. Allison, help me. Um, a cast iron <laughs> pan in the bottom of your oven so yeah. that it's heating with your oven. Then when you open the door to put your bread in, first of all, remember, typically heat your oven 50 degrees higher than you need because you lose about 50 mm. degrees when you open the door. Turn the yeah. temperature down and pour two cups of boiling water into that hot pan in the bottom of your pan. Then close the door and it will create a steam situation in the oven just long enough to get that nice um, steamy exterior on the bread that you want to eat. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of counterintuitive a bit. Well, why? I want mm -hmm, a crust. Mm -hmm. Why would I put steam in my oven? But it, it does make a difference and generally what I do is open the door before the loaf is finished like 15 minutes before just like if I if I've covered a loaf I'll take the, the lid off 15 minutes before which gets rid of that steam creates a drier environment for the last 15 right. minutes and helps you form that crust so you're trying to get that crust but chewy right and if you think about something like bagels or pretzels you actually boil them in water yeah. and typically a little baking soda so you're and then you bake them so you're not getting really crust on those at all you're getting just chewy exterior and when you're steaming you're getting kind of the best of both it's kind of chewy but then it kind of crust over so yeah that sounds lovely you're making me hungry <laughs> there's a couple of other things that and um, people don't think about when it comes to crusts but can make a difference shaping so when you're shaping, the idea is to get tension into the outside of the loaf to make the loaf look from the outside like it's got a smooth and tight cover. The more that you can get good at shaping, the better crust you will get. Um, and the other thing is when you take your loaf out of the oven, make sure you put it onto a rack so air can travel mm -hmm. around it freely and isn't going to get mm -hmm. stuck and make yeah, the crust yeah, soggy. Fair. I'm going to okay. put a link in the show notes, Allison, yeah. for this YouTube video that is very short, but very good. If, if you've ever shaped mm. a loaf and then you've seen, you know, how a baker they shape the loaf, you know, you kind of scratch yeah. the surface. Really good. Set it on your board <laughs> and then you pull it towards you. And, right. So yeah. that's in this video, very well demonstrated. So I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Last question for this section um, from Sharon. Hi, Sharon. I use all-purpose flour for my scones, but switch to a local one that has more bran. How much should I up my hydration to make up for the increase? If I switch from 50% whole grain to 100% whole grain, how much does hydration generally increase to? So I most often work with 100% whole grain, but sometimes I do do 50% white. And I have to say, mostly I just eyeball the hydration, just like Andrea was saying earlier on. You know, I just see how it feels um, depending on your flowers, I would say if you're going from 50% to 100%, so 
start with somewhere between a 5 and a 10% increase in water and see how it goes. But really it's all about experimenting because you know, every flower is different. I've noticed my rye flower is different from the same supplier this year to how it was last year. It needs much more water. So every flower is different and every season of flower is different. Um, right. So just experiment with it, I would say. Shall we to the next section? Yes, please. All right, flavor, or as you say, flavor. <laughs> as I write, flavor. <laughs> as you write it, flavor. Okay, also, Cody says, mm. how do I make a sour sourdough? I love sour sourdough, and my husband's usually isn't. So she had told me that her husband makes sourdough, but she doesn't, so she wants to learn. Mm. Okay. I would note that um, once again, when you're comparing things, make sure that you know often the sourdough breads you buy at the store are soured with vinegar because mm. they know that we have a natural um, appeal to that tartness because our body knows that that is the lactic acid flavor that indicates the food is you know typically quite safe to eat. <clears throat> so when sourdough is truly fermenting, it uses lactic and acetic acid bacteria. And generally, lactic acid or lactic acid bacteria are tangy and creamy, and the acetic are sour and vinegary. So, if you've ever made like kefir, it's a lactic acid ferment, and then if you've ever made mm -hmm. vinegar, you use an acetic acid mm -hmm. um, starch, and that's just much more tart. So, Allison, can you example us the kefir bread? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a really good example. Basically, I have a recipe on my site, which I'll try and remember to link for a bread that is risen solely with a starter made from milk kefir. Um, I was just talking to Izzy about this, the patron that, um, that we mentioned yeah, I was earlier say, today. Didn't she just do that? Yeah, she just did that. And, um, that bread has a completely different taste to the bread that I leaven with sourdough starter because that starter that I've made particularly for that bread just with milk kefir has lactic acid bacteria all through it. Whereas my sourdough starter has a mix of both and I tend to make it quite acetic acid. I've got you know ways I do that. So the flavour is, like you can see from tasting those two breads how important the type of bacteria are right, to right. the flavor that you get so really if you want to make it vinegary you need to help support the acetic acid bacteria in your starter so work on your starter um, whole grain will help in your starter because there are more bacteria generally as i've said several times i keep my starter at low hydration which acetic acid bacteria prefer and i don't feed it that often i only feed it once a week and as starters mature they get more sour. Often I will use my starter past its peak, you know, straight from the fridge, and that will impart a sour flavour to my bread. Yeah. Generally, the, yeah, she does. Generally, the longer you leave your ferment, the um, more it will encourage acetic acid. But be careful with long, slow ferments, not to over-ferment. So if you're going to try for a long, slow ferment, use mm -hmm. less starter. And then that will encourage acetic acid. And yeah, have fun trying to, trying to, um, doing taste tests and experimenting. <laughs> could you, I mean, if you were sour fermenting it, could you add vinegar to it or would that impede? You could, I think. I've never, I've never done it, but I think you could. 
it's just oh. more bacteria in the party. Yeah. Let's well, see try, Cody. why it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next section, making in bulk and storing. So um, Natalie asked, you should talk about freezing the dough. Andrea, I shall hand this one to you because I do not freeze my dough. Oh, right, right. Okay, so we, we do freeze a lot of dough multiple reasons but the main one being that I you know if I have all my dishes out then I think oh I could make one or I could make 10 and um I don't necessarily want to run the oven for 42 hours because that takes a lot of power so then I'll just throw a bunch of dough in the freezer and then at least the next time I'm going to make it I know that the dough is already made I don't have to pick it up I don't always do this but I also do um the way that I learned to freeze dough was just by experimenting in the beginning. Um, but I also have a Cook's Illustrated Make Bread Recipes magazine. It is not the same as their book, just in case you're wondering, because I did look at their book. Um, but it's from June 2013. So I don't know if you can find it now. But wow. the... Um, there's a couple different ways you can do it. One is like when I would do pizza dough and pizza dough is very forgiving because it doesn't have to really go very far once you rise it. Mm, so it's a good mm. place to start. Um, I would make big batches of pizza dough and Allison, you know how you mix your dough and then you let it <clears throat> rise, you know, overnight or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so I would mix it and then before that first rise, I would throw it right. Now. Ah, so okay. Portioned right. out in the amount that I wanted, which is usually two large pizza crusts per gallon bag. Okay. Alternately, um, so I've done cinnamon rolls, for instance. That's a good one to look at because it's quite a lot of shaping and involvement. So you would mix the dough, let it do its first rise, typically overnight in the refrigerator for me. And then the next day you take your dough out, you roll it out, right? You put your cinnamon on it, mm. you roll it up, mm. you cut it, you put it in the pan, and then it rises again and you bake it, right? Mm -hmm. So I've done both. I've okay. cut it, put it in the pan, and then immediately put it in the freezer. And then I take it out. And this is where I'm not very helpful, Allison, because I'm just like, oh, it can just rise until it looks right. And then I put it in the oven. <laughs> I don't know how long that takes, <laughs> but you can do it that way. Or in this magazine, what they do is they do the entire process. They put them into the pan. They let them rise for about an hour and a half until they're puffy and how you want them to look. And then they freeze it. So it's already risen. The way you oh, would bake that okay. is they say, um, Heat your oven to 350, remove the buns from the freezer, remove, they use plastic wrap um, to wrap it. So oh. cling, literally they're, they're wrapped in cling film, what, on the tray or, or yeah. just? uh-huh, yep, oh, over the whole okay. pan uh, or tray of risen wow. rolls. Okay. Um, then they say, wrap the pan tightly in aluminum foil and set it on the heated baking stone in the oven. Mm. So frozen is what they're saying. And then bake it for 30 minutes at 350. Gosh. Remove the foil and bake about 20 minutes more or until a thermometer reads 180 degrees inside the cinnamon rolls. 
That would be a disaster in my freezer because I've only got three drawers and they're full of stuff and it's all no, monkey with, with with tubs of lard and bags yeah. of flour and they'd all just slide yeah. off the, yeah. <laughs> off the thing. Which I think is why I often have frozen the dough at that initial stage because I'm usually yeah. cramming it in somewhere. I yeah, don't exactly. have like shelves to put pans on usually. Um, yeah. If it's, you know like right before butchering season starts and i probably do have room yeah but, yeah but not so after. i i would so what say do you it, what do you put your dough in do you just put it in one single freezer bag well i portion it into whatever i want to take out and make i've also made mm. sourdough muffins and mm. i put papers in the muffin tins and then i put the raw dough into the muffin tins and then I just shoved the entire muffin tin into the freezer. Then after it froze solid, I took out all the frozen paper cups basically and chucked them into a oh, bag. And very violent with That's my clever. food. And then I threw it into the I mean, no no I bunged it into the freezer. Yeah bunged and, <laughs> and then when I want to bake those I just take the frozen bag of frozen yeah, cups that's out really sensible bung them back into a muffin pan bung them in there and then so i've got another i've got another question <laughs> for you which is when you when you've got a, like a pizza dough and mm -hmm. you're freezing it in a ziploc bag or whatever um does it ever stick to the bag no and when you get it out do you leave it in the bag to defrost or do you take it out yeah. how do you defrost it yeah um depends on i guess what a rush i'm in but I've mm. taken a bag out and just dropped the whole bag into a bowl of warm water to okay. kind of get it to thaw faster because I obviously have to be able yeah. to work it. And mm. sometimes water leaks into the bag, but that's fine. <laughs> Doesn't that's seem to okay. ruin the dough at all. And these are typically einkorn and wheat combo, pizza crust, sourdough mm -hmm. pizza crust. So I take it out and then I kind of have to flour my hands to work with it. But um, yeah, it works just fine. You do have to, okay. probably you would find, you would put the dough on your board after it was kind of thawed enough that you could work with it. And mm. when you start rolling it, it's going to resist. Um, so then I just cover it with a towel and let it rest about 10 minutes and then go back and work yep. again. Hmm. I don't I know if that was the clearest. Freezing some pizza dough. Yeah, I don't know no, if it this was is clear. the clearest explanation, but I would just say try different things. It's really I I have tried. I've baked things from frozen. I've thawed them and baked them. I put them on the counter, forgot they were there, and baked them six hours later. Honestly, mm. it has all worked out deliciously. So it's really hard to go. <clears throat> really hard to go wrong. <laughs> nice. We've got one more question on making in bulk and storing from Claire who says, I would love to know more about baking in bulk, mainly about freezing and defrosting. Is there a way to still taste fresh out of the freezer? So um, I bake in bulk and freeze the baked bread rather than what Andrew was just talking about, which is the dough. Um, sourdough in general lasts longer than yeasted bread. So you can Definitely. bake bigger loaves and have them last longer just, you know, in your bread bin in your kitchen than you would uh, bread from the store, especially rye. You know, if you want a bread that's going to last a long time, make a rye loaf, um, make a hundred percent whole grain rye loaf and you will love the flavor of it and it, it will last a long time for you. 
Um, but I also freeze my loaves. So I've kind of got into the habit of when I make my breads now, I make four loaves. I, can f I have four loaf tins and I can fit four loaves in my bread in my oven at the same time. So I've been making four loaves. And once the bread is um, cooked, I let it cool. And then really what I will do, if I'm just going to keep the bread out, I will cut it and then turn it down on my breadboard and it stays there for like the rest of the day. And then probably in the evening, I remember to put it in the bread bin. Um, and I always keep my bread in a bread bin. That works in my climate. My bread bin is made of tin with a wooden lid and it's got little holes in it. Um, our climate here isn't particularly humid. I know some people struggle with um, different types of humidity and different types of weather. Um, our bread does tend to dry out more than it will mould in the environment that I'm in because it's not humid. And so because of that, I make my spelt breads with a scald in as a portion of the dough. And that makes the crumbs softer, but also helps it last longer stops it going stale, which it would usually do in our environment. When I want to freeze those loaves, so for example, when I make four loaves, I will generally keep one out and that will go in my bread bin and then I will freeze the other three. And I do that by cutting them in half because I only want to defrost half a loaf at a time because then it stays the most fresh for me. And I will put those half loaves into plastic bags. I will push the air out of them and then I will tie them with a, a wire tie. And then I will put them in the, the fridge, in the freezer, sorry. And when I want to get them out, I will just pull one of those half loaves out, let it defrost at room temperature in the bag. And then once it's defrosted, I take it out of the bag and put it in my bread bin. And what I would say about that is this is just a process that works for me. Um, we've talked about expectations quite a bit on the, um, you know, throughout this episode. And I am sure there are ways that I could freeze my bread that makes it more fresh or makes it come out more crispy or, or I'm sure there are ways I could defrost it. And I know that other people do more elaborate things when they freeze their bread. People will wrap it in plastic wrap and then they will wrap it in a freezer bag. Mm. My frozen bread doesn't stay in the freezer very long at all. And yeah. I want to use minimal plastic. I use those plastic bags that I use for the bread over and over again. You know, when I've taken one out to defrost and put it in my bread bin, I put the plastic bag, I scrape, I um, shake the bag over the sink to get rid of the crumbs. And then I put the plastic bag back in the freezer and it just stays in the freezer until the next time. So I'm using plastic bags again and again and again. And it taking out half a loaf at a time works for my family in that by the time we finish that loaf, it hasn't degraded. It degrades faster because it's been in the freezer, but it hasn't degraded enough to, for me to notice it by using half a loaf at a time. Obviously, that depends on how many people you've got in your family. Um, I know that um, uh, Maurizio Leo, who has that Perfect Loaf website, has a post about how to get wonderful loaf from the freezer and suggest slicing it and freezing it sliced and then defrosting it in a toaster. And I mean, oh. I can't do that because my yeah. bread just goes in the bread bin and I slice it when I need it. Mm -hmm. And I'm making, you know, people's lunch with it. And I don't have the time to, to if, if I make something in a toaster for them, it's going to go cold by the time they eat it because it's probably for their lunch and they're going off somewhere for the day. So 
That system works for me. Um, and it, it's much easier, you know, to make four loaves in a go and to use your oven once to bake four loaves is more economical and easier. And that's why I'm doing it. And I'm really enjoying the loaves when they come out the freezer and it's working for me. So, yeah, I hope that helps, Claire. Do you, do you um, freeze your loaves after you've made them, Andrew, or do you just freeze the dough? Mm. I don't Not know. Not usually. Yeah, usually just Yeah, dough. that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Okay, the last topic yeah, that we have. We're, we're nearly which, there. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it, which we'll have links to these in the show notes. So don't yeah. necessarily need to go super in-depth on each one, but just so you know that they're out there. Cody asked, what are some other ways to use sourdough, other recipes besides bread? Mm -hmm. I know you've got a couple okay. of these on your site, Allison. So why don't you list those off? Yeah. Okay. So first thing I would say is make porridge with it. Put it mm -hmm. with your oats or some other flaked grain or not even, you know, a flaked grain. You can put it with millet oh, yeah. flour and make porridge oh, yeah. with it. There are um, three videos on my site that show you how to make sourdough porridge, sourdough polenta, which you can make with corn or any other kind of mm -hmm. flour like millet or buckwheat and a sourdough polenta loaf. If you go mm. to my homepage, ancestralkitchen.com, you can find those. Make pancakes. That's my number two. Yes. Sourdough pancakes are wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Wonderful for weekend breakfasts. Wonderful with, you know, lentils put in or fish and salad. Wonderful sweet with butter and, you know, um, some honey or maple syrup on. Just lovely with cheese melted on them. You just, you can't fault sourdough pancakes. You do not have to use eggs in them. There's a recipe on my site, which I will link, which is just sourdough discard, flour, water. And providing that you cook them okay in the right way, they won't stick. Like I mentioned earlier, I also have a sourdough, sourdough discard soup recipe, which draws on the Polish tradition of a soup called Azurek, which is very hearty and very delicious. I also have a pizza recipe for 100% whole grain sourdough spelt base, which is on my website, which I will link. And then more recently, I've been playing with sourdough with oats. So just in the last month, I've put two sourdough oat recipes up on my site. The first one is a oat pancake from the region of Staffordshire in the UK, which has been made for many centuries. Staffordshire is where the potteries industry was in the UK, and it used to fuel all the workers that went into the pottery factories and made posh pottery for people like Wedgwood. Um, and that's a lovely recipe, which is simple. And that's on my site. I'll link that. And then just very recently, I've been experimenting with oat cakes, which are a Scottish tradition. They're like a, an oat cracker, crispy. And I've made a sourdough version of those with sourdough starter, which are delicious. Kind of go cheesy because they've got that sourdough flavor in them. So all of those I will link in the show notes because you can use your sourdough starter for many, many, many more things than bread. And it's exciting to do that. I love using my sourdough starter for other things too. So have fun with those, Cody. You've got some more, Andrea, yeah? Do put the sourdough starter in everything. So we put it in banana bread, and which is bread, but um, coffee cake or muffins. Um, basically, if I'm making something, any quick bread that you have the recipe for that you love, 
You don't really have to know a specific amount. Just pour some of your sourdough starter into it and mix it in and then put it in the refrigerator overnight. And that's what I do with um, my coffee cake and things like that. Mm. I just put them in the refrigerator overnight in the pan I'm going to bake them in. And then in the morning, I just pull it out and throw it right into the oven. And also, I'll link a recipe for crackers, which is currently my favorite one. I got it off of um, Gina's blog, Home Joys, probably 12 years ago. And mm -hmm. it, as you and I were talking about the other day when we were just privately raving about sourdough crackers to each other, if anyone's <laughs> ever had the cracker brand called Cheez-Its, it tastes like that's because there's lactic acid fermented milk or cheese and also yeah bread so delicious wonderful yeah just just yeah. put sourdough starter in anything grain that you're making yeah. and let it sit overnight and see what happens it's pretty it's i mean i have it's always a win yeah i agree totally wow we made it are we at so the go, end is that all of the questions <laughs> yes so go i'm gonna try to say the link one more time go to ancestralkitchen.com slash 10 one zero tips and listen to Allison's ten tips because if you can believe it, there's more. <laughs> yeah, um, that will take really you automatically. That will take you automatically to the fermentation school site where the course is, and it's a free course. But you need to um, just create an account to access it. Yeah. So yeah. once you've done that, you can listen to watch actually all the tips because they're all video tips. It's really, really nice succinct. To see it. Like see you. your starter yeah. and see you see thing. my starter. And yeah, see exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's colourful. I like that one. It is. Um, and at the end, there's a quiz so you can test your knowledge. And um, yeah, there's lots of information in there. So Ooh. go check it out because it's free and it's useful. It is. And really, I hope that that um, those questions and our answers to them have helped people feel more confident and more excited to go and do um more sourdough things because that's yeah. good I if like you that. got the answer to something you needed on here let us know in a comment on the podcast give us yeah. a five-star review <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah or take a screenshot a, share it on instagram five-star review <laughs> yeah share a <laughs> screenshot um, thank you for telling people about the podcast is so helpful and makes us feel so good about what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, that. this is this is quite a shareable episode. I mean, a lot of people are making sourdough. So if you know anyone who's making sourdough and you think this will help them, then send it along to them so they He's, can um, uh, other than get the good stuff. liquid on the bottom of the starter, because that is yeah. new for me. These are all questions that I know both of us get a lot. Frequently. Yeah. Yeah. So people are asking. And this is. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you awesome, very much, awesome. Andrea. Have a good day. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.